Well, we are um, in the, the midst of this series titled Closer uh, that we started on Easter Sunday, where we're, we're looking at the resurrection of Jesus and how our lives are transformed in light of the resurrection, how our relationship with God uh, draws closer, how our relationships with one another draws closer. And so that first Easter morning, we see Mary coming to the empty tomb, having already reported back to the disciples that, that the tomb is empty, and she comes back and she meets Jesus, and he calls her by name, calls out her name. And it's in that that she recognizes who Jesus is. And he shares this incredible truth with her that, that he is going to be returning back to his father And because of him returning back to to his father, the relationship with Jesus changes. It's no longer this physical relationship where they're they're sitting around eating with him and and traveling with him and and, and face-to-face with him. It's now becoming this, this spiritual relationship, but now a relationship that has greater intimacy as well. And the important thing is that that Jesus doesn't just give this information to Mary and leave it at that. He commissions her to go and tell this story to others. That she has a role to play in this. And that we have a role to play in this. To go and tell. To become witnesses to this profound truth. And so as resurrection people, we share this profound truth. Last Sunday, we looked at this metaphor of sheep right? The story of the good shepherd and the sheep in John chapter 10. And this imagery of of the good shepherd, one who cares for us, one that protects us, watches out for us. And we can recognize his voice. We hear the voice of the shepherd, and in that voice, we recognize his true identity. The sheep know his voice, and he calls out to them, They recognize who he is. And so the good shepherd knows and cares for the sheep. The good shepherd cares for the sheep, even if it costs everything, including his own life. And so what a good shepherd we follow. For those of us who have heard his voice, who recognize the voice of Jesus, for those of us who follow him, we are all called to to be caretakers of the flock as well. We're all called into that shepherding role, and so we reflect his care. We we reflect his concern. We ensure that people are are well-fed spiritually and physically. We, We look out for and create an environment where people feel valued and loved and cared for. We join with the Good Shepherd in caring for the flock more than we care about ourselves as individuals. And so today we turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, if you want to be uh, turning there, 1 Peter chapter 2. And so we move away from this metaphor of sheep and move to the metaphor of stones. We see throughout Scripture this this imagery of stones used for a variety of things. Early in the Old Testament, stone pillars were set up to, to mark and memorialize acts of God. We also see stones used to to build homes and fortresses. We see the the stone walls of Jericho falling down. We see stones marking wells and and building altars. We see stones bringing down giants from David. 
For Moses, the stone actually became a source of water. The stone sealed the tomb. There's stones thrown in judgment. And then Jesus is most devoted, although sometimes in a disappointing way, his most devoted disciple Peter is, is described as a rock, using this imagery of stone and rock and foundations that are being built. In Matthew chapter 16, it says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so Peter, taking on this incredible role within the church, this foundational faith that he has in Jesus Christ as Messiah, and so in the first letter of Peter, he, he uses this imagery of the stone. He, he presents Jesus as the rejected stone. The, the stone that is rejected is one that is, is flawed in some way. It's not good for building because it's not, it's not the right shape. It's not the right size. And so when you're going through your, your collection of stones to start building this structure, you want you want the, the right stone to be in this cornerstone position because everything else is going to be measured off of that. And if you start building off, then it gets off and off and off. It makes me think of a birthday cake that we were making for Clara one time where for some reason she wanted a, a rainbow cake that had like eight layers. And so you've got eight layers of cake and the first layer was just a little off. And then you add to another one that's a little off, and then a little off, and by the time you're at the end, you've got this cake that's going like this, and then lo and behold, there's this thing called a cake leveler. Who knew? Where you can make sure that the base is the right level so that everything is built on top, stands the way it's supposed to stand. And so we have this stone that is rejected because it's not seen as worthy, it's not seen as adequate, it's not seen as, as the right model, the right thing. And yet, even though Jesus was rejected by many, Jesus is that stone. He is that cornerstone. He is that foundation that everything else is built upon. And Jesus is building upon that foundation something that is incredible. And as Jesus' followers, we become part of that building. Part of that kingdom. There is a, a church in New York City, St. Mark's in the Bowery. It's the oldest site of continuous worship in New York City. Um, and it is a, a pile of stones. It's a stone structure that is built up in beautiful, multicolored New York stone. It's been stacked solid, the cornerstone being set in, in 1795. And the church was built up, and then a fire broke out in the 1970s and destroyed everything but the stone. The, the wood, the slate, the roof, 
destroyed, but the walls stood firm, ready to frame out a new life for St. Mark's Church. And so those old stones were piled up between 1795 and 1799. It was this critical time for, for the church because they were, were this new idea of a U.S. church that was independent in some way, independent of, of what was brought upon them. Uh, Alexander Hamilton actually ha- helped with the process of, of them becoming independent from Trinity Church. And so most of the buildings that are in lower Manhattan that were built around that time, they have all long been gone to give rise to bigger and newer things. And the houses of worship that once existed there have all moved north or moved out into uptown or closed altogether. But St. Mark's stays there. And so these are stones that cannot be moved. And so today in this passage of scripture that talks about building the church and how we're, we're each building blocks of that church, uh, we look here at, at what Peter is doing in, in his letter. In the first chapter of Peter, we have him giving these exhortations or these encouragements to the church. And he says that as, as resurrection people, as, as people who are, are saved, we live life differently. And some of the ways that we live life differently as, as in light of our salvation is that we live with hope. We live in a life of holiness. We live in a life of, of fear of God. And we live lives where we love one another. And so he's building this case for what it looks like to live in this way. And then we get to chapter 2, and he starts bringing in this imagery of the stones. And he gives us two more encouragements, two more things that he says we are to live life like as resurrection people. He says that we're supposed to desire spiritual nourishment, and we are supposed to build a spiritual house. And so Peter weaves in and out of this, building this case for desiring spiritual nourishment and building a spiritual house. Let's go ahead and read these first few verses together. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So he gives us this connection to what he's previously said, this word therefore. Therefore, people who live with hope, people who live lives of holiness, people who live in a fear of God, people who love one another, therefore get rid of all the worldly fleshly stuff. Because when you have been born again, your appetite changes. The things that you crave, the things that you desire change. And so newborns have a very specific craving, right? As newborns, they crave a very specific thing. They don't crave steak. They crave milk. This is what nourishes them. And so as newborns, through Christ, we, create, we crave spiritual milk. We crave spiritual things. And so Peter is telling us, desire 
spiritual nourishment. We desire spiritual nourishment as people of the resurrection. So instead of craving things of the former flesh, instead of craving things of the world, we crave spiritual things. And spiritual milk, the spiritual milk are the things that nourish us in our Christian growth. Things that help us grow. Things like prayer and worship and, and hearing the word of God preached. Joining together with other believers in a, in a life group, studying in a class. These are spiritual, this is the spiritual milk that feeds us that nourishes us and gives us what we crave. We ask this discipleship question often, what is God saying to us? What is he saying to us through prayer? And what is he saying to us through the word? And what is he saying to us through our community of faith? What is God saying to us? And then what are we going to do about it? How do we grow from that? And so these cravings come from having already tasted that the Lord is good. Because once you get a little nibble of something, you just want more. How many of you have one of those things that, that you nibble on and you just can't stop, right? It, it's a chocolate bar or it's you know, something like that, right? Everybody, everybody's got one of those things. You take one bite and, ah, I need one more bite and one more bite and one more bite. You've tasted that it's good. And if we started calling out, I don't know, throw out a few. What, what are some of the things that, that are on that list? Potato chips, all right. Red wine, all right. <laughs> Everything. So who's got the strangest one? Who's got a, a strange one? Tisha, what, do you have a strange one right now that you're pregnant? Chocolate, Panda Express, chocolate chip cookies. Okay, all good ones. You get one bite or drink, and you just want more, right? We've tasted that it's good, and we, we crave more. And so we've tasted of the Lord, We've seen his goodness. We've, we've seen what he's done in our lives. And, and we taste that it's good. And we crave more. We desire more. One of the, the challenges that, that I've had in ministry um, from, from the beginning of ministry to now uh, is, is convincing people and, and selling people and marketing people on things that are spiritually nutritious. So like join a life group, go to a Bible class, participate in our 40 days of prayer. It's hard to sell those things until you've tasted it and know that it's good. Because once you've experienced these different things and tasted its goodness, then it's an easy commitment. It's an easy sell. But it's hard to convince people to take that first bite at times. And so we, 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 we seek out spiritual nourishment. We crave more. Now, one of the problems that we have is, is we are forgetful people, right? We've talked about this in the last several weeks about how we forget. So we forget the things that taste good. We're like, oh yeah, I remember, that was really good. You, know, you go back to a restaurant that you haven't been to in years, and, and you get that dish that you got years ago, and you remember, ah, yes, I forgot how good that dish was. And so are, there are things in our spiritual lives, if you've been at it a while, as many of us have been, there are times that you forget how good those things taste. 
You get busy in life and you forget how good prayer tastes. You get distracted with, with a career change and you forget how good Bible study tastes. You get into the frenzy of raising kids and teenagers and getting them out of the house. And you forget how good spiritual community tastes. We've tasted that it's good. We've seen that it's good. And so will we renew our cravings for those things? Peter is saying get rid of all of those fleshly things and crave spiritual things, crave spiritual milk. I'm afraid that, that many of us are not craving those spiritual things because we've gotten into a pace, gotten into a rhythm where, where we've just forgotten that we're hungry for it. And, and, and we're trying to fulfill that craving with other junk food and other distractions and other things in our lives trying to crave that hunger, forgetting where we can find that real nourishment. And so too many of us are starving because we're eating mush. We're eating the wrong things. And so living in light of the resurrection in this intimate relationship with God requires us to desire this spiritual nourishment. All right, next, verse 4. As, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So if we're craving spiritual nourishment and we've tasted that it's good, we're going to draw closer to Jesus, who Peter calls the living stone. The stone that some rejected. He is the living stone. And so when we come to Jesus, who, who tastes good, we are actually being built up into this spiritual house. We're being built up into something bigger than ourselves. And so there is this unity that is found in gathering together, in being a part of the church, being together around the living stone. We're connected to, we're finding our identity from the living stone. We look to Jesus. We're connected to Jesus. That's where life comes from. And because of this connection to Jesus, because we're being built up together with him, we ourselves are becoming a part of the living stone. And we ourselves become living stones that are being put together into this spiritual house. Remember, Jesus told, remember what Jesus told Mary on that resurrection morning that her relationship with him was going to change because it was now going to, to be a spiritual relationship, not a physical relationship. And so he turns to his, he returns to his father, and now there is a spiritual relationship with him. We have, we have spiritual connection to Jesus, to this living stone, and that, that builds us together into this spiritual house. Not into a temple, not into a physical church building, not into this space, not into our future building. He builds us together into a spiritual house. And so Peter is encouraging us to build a spiritual house. 
which is not something that's just going to happen on accident. So when those that hunger for the nourishment of Jesus, when those people, these people, us, gather, when we gather together with Jesus, we gather together into a spiritual house that is much bigger than any one of us individually. Something that's bigger than just this gathering of people here. And in that spiritual house, we become something completely different. We become a holy and royal priesthood. We now have direct access to God. That we are in this new role within the spiritual house. So we'll talk about that in just a minute. Let's hold that there. But continuing on, Peter gives us these two encouragements. And then he kind of goes on a little bit of a tangent that gets us back to Jesus as being the living stone. He quotes some scripture, verse 6. For scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, that one, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe the stone the builder Builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. And so Peter quotes Isaiah 28 here, applying language of Israel choosing disobedience, applying that to the rejection of Jesus. That Jesus is given as a precious gift, a gift to each of us. And in the giving of this gift, people are given the choice to reject or accept the gift. And many have rejected this gift. They have rejected the living stone. They've cast it aside. This, this is something that they trip over, something that they stumble over, because it's something that they don't recognize that's in the way. Others have accepted the living stone. And see that this stone is, is, is the cornerstone, the foundational piece of all other things. That, that this stone is the capstone, the thing above everything else. And this is who Jesus is. This is what we believe about Jesus. And so God has appointed Jesus as the living, so, living stone. We're to obey him. And so this tells us more about who the stone is and a warning of what to do for those who reject it, or what will happen for those who reject it. And so then Peter gives us this next round of a little bit of rabbit trail. But it's a rabbit trail that is full of incredible and profound truth about who we are as this spiritual house. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so we look at these incredible statements about who we are. I think these are not light things. These are significant 
markers of who we are as followers of Jesus. As ones who believe in the resurrection, ones who have heard the voice of the shepherd, ones who recognize the living stone as the gift from God. For those people, those people are chosen people. They are a royal priesthood. They are a holy nation. They are God's special possession. Like, how many of us want to sign up for that? That's what we've got. That's who we are. That's who God makes us. That there, there's not this divide between, between me and you as, as minister and people sitting in rolly chairs. Like all of us. In the same way we're all called to be shepherds of the sheep, shepherds of the flock, we are all priests. We are all royalty. We are all chosen. We are all holy and set apart. We are all the special possession of God. We have the power and authority of the creator of the universe working through us as he is building us up into this spiritual house. We have the power and the authority of the creator in us and working through us. I don't know if you're getting it. We have the power and the authority of the creator in us. That's amazing. It's not about your education. It's not about going to seminary. It's not about the staff position that you hold. It's, it's each and every one of us are a part of the priesthood. Direct access to God. Intermediaries between God and other people. That there is a calling on each and every one of our lives to connect people with God. To reflect God to others. This is incredible. This is power flowing through us that goes beyond any of our abilities, beyond any of our, our backgrounds, beyond any of our levels of education. It goes beyond anything that is about us to channel through the power of God. That we are ruling with Jesus. Not just under his rule, we're ruling with him. That, that we're ministering God's grace to others. And so each of these functions come together. The, the chosen people, the royal priesthood, the, the holy nation, the, the special possession. These come together for the defined purpose of the church, which is to declare the praises of him. That's what Peter says. That the purpose of the church, what we're called to do, is to declare the praises of him. And it's not simply talking about singing some songs. 
praising Jesus. This word declare is something much bigger than that. It's not just saying, hey. Declaring something is it the action of making something known. That we are making known the praises of Jesus. That we are declaring and making known the story of the resurrection. We are declaring and making known who Jesus is. And so the church, us, not me, us, we, we declare, we announce the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We declare it. We declare that we are called out of darkness. We declare that we are called into the light. We declare that, that we are the people of God, a people who have received the mercy of God. This is what we declare. This is who we are as a chosen people, as a royal priesthood, with direct access to God, intermediaries between God and others. This is who we are. People that are set apart, people that are chosen by God to declare his glory. And so we look at this story that Peter is painting here. We see that he is he's calling us into this place where we desire spiritual nourishment, where there is, is spiritual growth. And he's calling us into this place where we're building a spiritual house. Now let's talk a moment for the, about this desiring spiritual nourishment. Because there are enemies in our world today that wants to suck us dry of any kind of nourishment. I think there, there, there are four that I'm going to list, and there are about 400 that we could list. But one is noise. We are in a world full of noise. Something is always going the TV's always on. The radio's always going. The podcast is always on. If it's not noise of that level, it's the street outside. It's the, the airplanes overhead. There's constant noise. And in that noise, it is hard to hear the voice of our shepherd. It gets drowned out by all the other things that are going on. Another thing that gets in the way is our sense of hurry, rush to the next thing, get to the next place, looking at the clock and saying what's next, and not being fully present in the moment now. This is hard for us, because we want to be productive, which means we have to hurry to the next thing to get more productivity done. And can we really taste the goodness of God when we're always worried about getting to the next place and getting to the next thing? Another thing that gets in the way of our spiritual nourishment is crowds. Because it's very easy to come into a crowd like this and to slip in and slip out. There's some, some anonymity to a crowd that they won't remember if I'm there or not. I don't really have to interact at any level of depth. And so we, we, we are not alone 
because we're constantly in crowds, whether it's a public crowd at the mall or busy places of shopping, places of church, we're in a crowd. But that doesn't mean we're with others. And so it's hard to get that nourishment when we just slip in to become part of the crowd. But then the fourth one is the opposite of that, the reverse. And that's this enemy of isolation. That we isolate ourselves. Even in the midst of a crowd, we isolate ourselves. We put ourselves where we're alone and not with others. And not enjoying the spiritual milk that is given to us. Living in isolation. And so if we're going to be growing spiritually, if we're going to desire this spiritual nourishment, yes, we need time alone. We need time alone with God. We need these disciplines of prayer and Bible study and and solitude and silence. These are things that, that are critical for us to be able to hear the voice of God. But we also have to engage with others. We've got to be engaged in community with others. Because God has designed us to be with community. And so this is why we talk about life groups so much. They have it, having a place where, where you're not part of the crowd, you can be known, and you can really share, and you can talk about who you are, and you can support one another and encourage one another and, and challenge one another. Living life in community with others. And so check the noise, check the, the, the hurry, the crowds, the isolation that exists in your life, and how are those things not allowing you to really crave and taste the spiritual milk that God gives us? But then as we, we build a spiritual house, it gives us this idea that, that we are a part of building something, that God is building something, and we're, we're called to be a part of that, to build with that. And so we have got to have some sort of evangelistic outreach where we are declaring the praises of God, not just in this room, but outside of this room. That how do we declare the praises of God? How do we declare the good news? Are we witnesses beyond this place, calling people not just into a belief in God, but a a true and genuine trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus? So this is one that convicts me. To think about what is my rhythm, what is my lifestyle, who am I interacting with, who am I declaring the praises of God to? Because too often, my declaration of who God is, is is in the isolation of my own home. I'll declare who you are, God. But I'm not anywhere where anybody can listen. And so who are the people in our lives that we need to be building relationships with? Encouraging. Talking about who God is. We are a resurrection people, and resurrection people are called to share the story of the resurrection. Are we sharing the story of the resurrection? Are we sharing the gospel? Jesus creates the church, but the church is given this incredible task and this incredible calling to preach the gospel. And if we're faithful to that, we can trust that the Spirit will be at work in those relationships. The Spirit will be at work in those relationships conversations. So, 
as we think about our new relationship with God, as this relationship that is changed by the resurrection, as we're drawing closer and closer to God and closer to others, how are we feeding ourselves? How are we nourishing ourselves? What, what spiritual growth, spiritual nourishment do we need? And then what are we going to do to build this spiritual house? What are we going to do with God through the power of the Spirit, with the authority that is given to us as priests, as the authority given to us as a chosen people in a holy nation? What are we going to be doing to build this spiritual house? Let's go ahead and be standing together. We want to enter into a time of, of prayer and a time of communion. This is a time for us to, to be together not sitting in rows, but moving around the room. And so we have, we have communion tables set up along the edge of the room. And it's an opportunity for us through this next song to, to go to these tables and, and spend a few moments remembering the death of Jesus. That we take this bread and we remember the sacrifice given to us. That we, we take this bread and, and remember that the, the lamb did everything, or the shepherd did everything in laying down his life for the sheep. That as shepherd, he will protect us through anything, and even to the point of laying down his own life. And so we remember that in the breaking of bread. And we come to the table together. There's power flowing through the room for us. More than... But we're, we're joining with we're joining with God in this moment. This one who's given us power, this one who's, who's given us authority. And in this time of, of sharing at the table, we are also called to be a priest, called to be priests to one another. That we pray for one another, and we encourage one another, and we give each other a pat on the back, or maybe even just a smile that we're shepherds shepherding one another, we're priests sharing the grace and the mercy of God with one another. And so this is a time for us to go to the table. You can go as a family. You can go as a life group. Uh, if you see someone by themselves, grab them to go with you and share in this meal together. And this is also a space that is open for us to pray for one another and encourage one another through this time. Um, if you can't navigate the stairs to get there, um, just raise your hand up high. Uh, Mark is in the back here, and he will go to where you're at. Um, and so you don't have to navigate those stairs. So just raise your hand so he can get to you. Let's pray together. And God, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for uh, the gift to us. God, would you create in us a craving for you, a desire for you, that outweighs all the other desires of our lives. God, would you give us the courage to declare who you are, to declare, to announce the gospel, the good news of Jesus. May we be witnesses of the resurrection to the world around us. We thank you for this bread and this cup. May you bless us in this time as we commune together around the table. It's in Jesus' name we pray.